السلام عليكم ورحمة أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الأمين محمد بن عبد الله وآله وصحبه وسلم ربي أدخلنا مدخل صدق وخرجنا مخرج صدق واجعل لنا من لدنك سلطان النصيرة جاء الحق وزهق الباطل إن الباطل كان زهوقا ربنا اجعل جمعنا هذا جمع مباركا مرحومة واجعل اللهم تفرقنا من بعده تفرقا معصومة ورسل الله فينا ولا معنا ولا منا شقين ولا محرومة اللهم رب زدنا ولا تنقصنا وآتنا ولا تحرمنا رب وفقنا لما تحب وترضى يا كريم رب وفقنا لما تحب وترضى يا كريم رب وفقنا لما تحب وترضى يا كريم وعافنا واعف عنا وكلنا ولا تكن علينا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين وصلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتحة بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين يا كلام الذين نعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي رب أوزعنا نشكر نعمتك التي أنعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضاه وأصلح لي في ذريتي إني تفت إليك وإني من المسلمين وعليكم السلام الحمد لله على الكلام In the last two sessions we were discussing the life of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam before he was born and when he was born until he reached the age of a teenager 14-15 years old and I stopped last week when I was telling you the story of the man who came to buy or to sell some goods in Mecca but the nobleman who bought from him the goods refused to give him his money and therefore Rasulullah and his family okay, stood by him and managed to retain his goods for him and that was where I stopped and today I'm going to talk about Sayyidina Muhammad the young man who was encouraged by his uncle Abu Talib to work in business and his marriage to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha and the story of the rebuilding of Al-Kaaba and his time and how did he spend it. A lot of people misunderstand that, subhanallah, those mushrikeen of Arabia are the descendant of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam through Sayyidina Ismail and they used to worship Allah properly until a time came when they began to go astray and began to bring the idols into the equation of worship. But most of the things that they used to do, we were doing in Islam during the Prophet's time and we are doing now. Like the Hajj, they used to fast, they used to pray, but differently. Differently. Okay? Now, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Duha, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Al-Duha, Wal-Layli idha saja, Ma wadda'aka rabbuka wa ma qala, Wal-al-akhiratu khayrun laka min al-ula, Wal-sawfa yu'tika rabbuka, Fatarda. Alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa, This is what we spoke about last week. Alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa, Didn't he find you an orphan, And sheltered you, And looked after you, through 
all those people who looked after him. The three ladies from Thwayba, okay, after his mother, Halima Saadiya, Ummu Ayman Barak al Habashiya, early age, and then his uncle Abu Talib, his grandfather Abdul Muttalib, then his uncle Abu Talib. All this was planned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he can have the security and the peace of mind that somebody is looking after him with love. But the verse that came after, The Prophet sallam, one of his duas, Allahumma hini miskinan wa amitni miskinan wahshurni fi zumrat al-masakin. Nobody makes this dua. I only heard one person made this dua. And I'll tell you what happened to him. Now, he used to say, Oh Allah, allow me to live like the miskin. Oh Allah, allow me to die as the miskin. And in the day of judgment, allow me to be among those whom you will call up to you as masakin. Now there's a big difference between a faqir and a miskin. A faqir is the one who have nothing. Nothing. He doesn't know when the next meal is coming, where it's coming from. And a miskin is the one who has his next meal. But he doesn't know what is next after that. You know your day. Like the laborers who work per day, they, they will go out, they will work for the day, that's it. But the one who have nothing is the faqir. Faqr, we don't want to have. It's tough because nobody can appreciate it. And it can lead you astray. Hence Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab said, if faqr or poverty was the man, I will chop its head off. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab said that. But to be a miskin is a good thing because you will appreciate what you have. A miskin is a needy person. And the Prophet is saying, Oh Allah, allow me to live like the needy person. And if I die, let me die like a needy person. And when you raise me, raise me with the needy people in the day of judgment because Allah is going to draw them closer to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never had anything. Even his uncle Abu Talib, the one who looked after him, didn't have money. He was all right. But he was not a rich man. He was not dealing in business like other uncles. They had businesses. He didn't have business. And we'll talk about this. But with the life that he led, which is very, very simple, living with his uncle Abu Talib, والسلام, being a shepherd, there was a reason for it. Because Whosoever is able to look after the animals will be able to look after the people. Because you need a lot of patience to look after animals. If you have no patience, you will not be able to look after them. They will drive you crazy. And therefore, most of the prophets, Allah trained them as shepherds. Most of them. Now, with that, he had the time to go and ponder and think. When we talk about his worship earlier on before the message, We'll talk about this. But what is known about him is his gentleness, his kindness, and his generosity of sharing whatever he has with those who have not. Subhanallah, it is he who said later on, save yourself from the hellfire by sharing a date. 
That means giving half of it. He says, Okay, save yourself from the hellfire by sharing your debt, giving half away. That will save you from the hellfire. But the quality that the people of Mecca knew him to be, as a teenager growing among them or in the midst of them, as the one who's truthful and trustworthy. Now, subhanallah, in our time now, if you are trustworthy and truthful, you're not very clever. You're not sharp. What is, what is required today is to be cunning, okay? To be deceitful, to be able to cheat. I and mean, people who are working for companies and making a lot of money, they describe themselves as good liars. Subhanallah. I know how to lie. I know how to make money. By how? By deceiving, by lying, by cheating. And this is common now. But in his time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the quality that was known in him personally, people used to cheat and lie. He was always truthful in his word and he was always honest, alayhi And the men of Mecca who were doing business, they were doing well. They were making profit. They were traveling, okay, to the north, to Sham, and doing their business mainly in Busra and in Gaza. Gaza of today, the city. Subhanallah, Sayyidina Muhammad sallam, he traveled only once with his uncle Abu Talib, as I said to you last week. Okay? And Buhayr al-Rahib recognized him and said to his uncle, take him because the Jews, if they got to know, they might do something wrong to him because they are waiting for the last messenger to be from them. Okay? And there are a lot of jealous people of the time who don't want that to go to the Arabs. And the Arabs at that time were not in a position to show that a messenger will come from them. Abu Talib, his uncle, approached him. He said to him, My son, I'm a man who has no money and I don't do any business. Wouldn't you be better off traveling in the caravan and doing business? And Sayyidina Muhammad said to him, But how? He said to him, Look, a lot of the people who travel, they take people with them. And I know for a fact, Khadija bint Khwailid, who was one of the richest women in Mecca, is sending a caravan regularly and making business and looking for good men to travel in her caravan because she will secure her business by employing those good men. She used to have a man who was running her business for her called Maysara. Some say he was a slave working for her. Some say... He was somebody whom she employed because she trusted to work for her, but he was very close to her. He was trustworthy with her business. And subhanallah, Abu Talib heard the news that she is looking for someone. When he approached Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said to him, go and apply for this job. You will get it. Go to Khadija. Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to him, I will not find it easy to go and ask. If she sent somebody to me, on the other side, I will accept the job. I will take it all. But I can't go. So he didn't go. And subhanallah, the ulama who wrote about the seerah, they say, this is out of his modesty. He will never go and ask. Never. For something that he has no experience of. Because if he goes and asks, he will show that he knows. But he didn't want to do that. 
He was not a businessman. He never worked in business. He traveled only once with his uncle to go to a lady who's running a business, very successful, very rich, to say, I'm going to run your business. It doesn't make sense. Now, Abu Talib then, on his behalf, he went to Khadija. And said to Khadija, look, I don't want this to go away from Muhammad I know you are looking for somebody who's trustworthy. My nephew, I know him and you hear about him. He's a trustworthy man. You can employ him to run your business. Send him with your caravan and test him. See how he will do. And subhanallah, she sent for him and he went to see her and she questioned him and he agreed to take the job. I will run your caravan for you with Maisara. She introduced him to Maisara to travel. Who is this Khadija? Subhanallah, you think about it. There are countries in the modern world, in the 20th century, they didn't have freedom. Some countries, some men were not allowed to vote because of their race or their color, okay? Or their status in the community. In some countries, women are not allowed to vote. And in England, this country of ours, okay, at the beginning of the 20th century, women were fighting for the right to vote. Forget about anything else, just to vote, to have a say. In Switzerland, this country in Europe, until 1972. If you read the history, and then they were allowed. And so on. In America, the black people were not allowed to vote until Martin Luther King did what he did. And it took a long time for that to take place. Okay? And that is also in the 70s. So, subhanallah, the world lived in darkness still, but yet, before Islam, women had position and power. Before that, you had the Queen of Sheba, the wife of Sayyidina Sulaiman and others. You have people like Hajir and all those great women, noble women, from whom the prophets came. And Khadija was a leading woman whom men respected and feared as well. And she was described as one of the most noblest women. One of the most noblest women. This is a, a sign to show that women can do anything if they are able to. And can you see today in the world we live in, there are those who say the place for women is only at home. They shouldn't do anything else. Subhanallah. And here Rasulullah himself, Khairul Bashar, the best of mankind, was employed by a businesswoman. Khadija is related to the Prophet ﷺ, linked to his grandfather, Qusay. I gave you the sheet. If you go back home and look at the sheet I gave to you, Qusay. Okay? Khadija is linked to Muhammad through the grandfather, Qusay. And her name, as it is said in the seerah, okay? Khadija bint Khuwailid. Khadija bint Khuwailid. This is her name. And she is linked to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through the grandfather, okay, who is Qusay. She was married to a man called Abu Hala. And he was known, subhanallah, and she had a son from him. Many people don't know that. So the children of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
Fatima, Zainab, Ruqayya, Um Kalthum. Okay? They had a brother from their mother. And that brother is called Hind. Hind ibn Abu Hala. And if you read the history, his name is mentioned a lot because he lived, okay, during Islam. Hind ibn Abi Hala. Now, when Rasulullah accepted, okay, to take the business, his uncle came out, the day of the caravan came, and everybody who's traveling, his family is standing, just like what we do today, to say goodbye. And subhanAllah, to show the link between him and his uncle at that time, and the security that he used to give to him, he felt sad he's sending him away, because for the first time, he will be traveling in a journey by himself. Nobody is with him. So he was telling the people who were regular traveling in the caravan to take good care of him. He didn't want to tell them what happened, who said to him what. So they went in the journey, and he was riding with Maisara. Muhammad he used to love the poor people, the needy people. He used to sit with them, to eat with them, to travel with them. He was not a person, a pompous, who would like to show. So all the journey, he was going and riding and speaking to Maisara. In fact, Maisara reported later on, he said, I had never found a man that I traveled with, I enjoy the company of because he speaks well, like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa this is what he said. And he said, there are strange things that happened to me in my journey with him. Tell us what happened. The people were asking him. He said, look, very strange. Many people didn't notice this. When we stopped to rest, and Muhammad sallallahu want to go, okay, to go to the bathroom, and he will, they're in the bushes, they're traveling in the country. He will go and find a tree. To, to sit behind the tree. And subhanallah, he will be worried that somebody might see him, okay, sitting in a way whereby his aura is seen. And because of that feeling in him, Allah will allow the tree that are closer to the tree where he's sitting by to move to cover him. He said, it is a strange a sign like this happening to a young man like him. There must be a reason for it. And then, he said, when we are asleep, under a tree, under a shade, and the sun, of course, is moving, he said, subhanallah, the shade moves. And what will happen is, the branches of the trees will move to bring shade on Muhammad sallallahu He said, even more than that, when we were traveling and it is too hot sitting on the camels because not everybody is covered while they're sitting in the camel, mainly the women and the children, they cover them. He said, they will be a cloud over our head covering Muhammad accompanying us. Until they came to this place where there is a hill and above the hill a small worship place is built like a chapel. Under the tree. So Muhammad Sallam decided to go and sit under that tree. And after a lot of discussion with Maisara, they went because Maisara was saying to him, The person here, he never come down, he never welcome anybody. There is no need to go and sit down there. 
And there are many different narrations about the story of this. This guy is very well known as a monk, okay, called Nastura. So he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just went straight away and sat under the tree. I think he found some goats needing to eat and he started feeding them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And for the astonishment of the people in the caravan, and especially Maisara, that man for the first time come down. Although a lot of people used to come to him to pray for them, and they will wait down there, he will not come. They will shout at him what they want, and they say he prays for them. But he came and saw Sayyidina Muhammad. And straight away, he started talking to Maisara. Who is he? Where is he from? And many, many other questions. And then he asked Maisara, when you look at his eyes properly, is there redness in his eyes? He said to him, why are you asking? He said, I'm asking because there is a secret. I will tell you in a minute. Is there a redness in his eyes? He said, yes. In his eyes there is redness. He says, this is the secret of a man who will come from your land, who will be born in a noble family, his father will die before he is born, and he will be the prophet of the time. If you listen to my advice, accompany him and serve him well, for you will benefit from his prophethood. He declared it to him. And from that moment, Maisara became so engrossed in just watching the Prophet and caring for him, as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appointed him to be the carer. And they went and they reached Busra. They put their uh, goods to sell in the market. And people were rushing, buying and selling. And subhanallah, Maisara reported that not one single journey ever he made was like that journey. It was the best journey ever. Everything he had, he sold. He bought there and he sold again. And they made great profit. He called Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam and said to him, Ya Muhammad, you know something? I traveled a lot. I made this journey many times. I had never seen a journey that I have completed so sh in short time and completed all my sales in short period and I ended up making such profit. Do you know why? Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam said to him, Why am I, sir? He said, because of the blessing of your face. Now, a man is speaking like this, of course, he's speaking with confidence because he heard already that monks telling him something. Just like his uncle was told by the other monks when they went before to the market. So, they decided to return. The news came from the people who left earlier that the caravan with Muhammad has completed their cells and they're going to be earlier. So Khadija عنها, gathered some of the women waiting to hear the news of what happened in the caravan. Okay? What good that caravan had brought for her. And they say she climbed into a high place. Some people say they used to have like two-story buildings. She went to the roof of the second room with the ladies. They were waiting there to watch. Some people say just a high place. And they were watching, looking to wait for the caravan to come. And from a distance, she could see Sayyidina Muhammad and Maithra in the front of the caravan. <laughs> when Maithra noticed people are waiting, he said to Muhammad look, it will be only good if you go and report the news to her and tell her about what we made. Sayyidina Muhammad said to him, all right. 
and he rushed with his camel and he approached her house and he entered into her presence. After greeting her, he told her the good news and that everything went well and we made good profit. She said to him, is it possible for you to send Maysara to see me? Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam rushed out, greeted Maysara and said to Maysara, could you please rush to Khadija because she's waiting for you. Khadija did this because she wanted to know more. She couldn't ask Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam the thing that she wanted to ask. So when Maysara came to her, she asked him, tell me what happened. You went and you came, the time is shorter. You made more profit. What happened? He said to her, what happened is your choice for the man to work in this caravan, Muhammad Sallallahu From the time you employed him until this moment, I have never seen anything but goodness in him. Number one, I have seen in him that he's honest, he's truthful. I used to hear about it, but now I am seeing it by practice. And all the time, either clouds or two angels, as he will tell me, because I don't know what are these things, are covering him on the top. And whenever he sits under a tree, he will be shaded. Whenever he goes okay, to rest himself, he will be surrounded by trees. And he deals with the creatures that we meet in the way, in a way that nobody else is managing to do. There is something special about him and that can only be a blessing. But let me tell you the news. You know that guy called Nastura in the way whereby people will try to him for prayers and he never comes down? Could you believe it? He came down. Because Muhammad insisted to go to the tree and he sat under the tree and he came and questioned me and he told me something that I will tell you. What is it, Yam? Maisara? He told me that this tree, nobody will sit underneath it and do what Muhammad did, only a prophet. It's an old tree. Many, many prophets passed through and did the same thing. And he was sure this will be the prophet that the people are waiting for at that time. So he told me to serve him well and to be close to him, I will benefit from his prophethood. Now, Khadija was so pleased and she was so delighted to hear the news of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this way. She began to feel close to him, not because of anything, but because of his being, that honest man. And if you ask any woman when it comes to marriage, she's always wanting somebody whom she can trust. If she can find the man that she can trust, she will be all right. Okay? Now, this is what she wanted. A lot of men, because of her position, her wealth, wanted to marry her, but she refused. A lot of the noble men of Quraysh, she refused. Now, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam was not thinking of marriage because he didn't have the means to get married. Alayhi Abdullah Salatu Wasallam. Khadija thought of marrying him. But how? She was 40 years old and Muhammad was 25. What to do? So she called Maisara because Maisara was very close to Muhammad Sallallahu She said, Maisara, would you inquire from Muhammad 
صلى الله عليه وسلم will he be interested in marrying me but do it in a way whereby that will be appropriate when you are asking he said I will do fine so he went and while he's sitting with Sayyidina Hafiz Salam and they're talking generally he asked him لما لا تتزوج يا محمد why don't you get married oh Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم why don't you get married Sayyidina Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم said to him of course I would love to get married but I can't why because I don't have the wealth a man to get married, they need wealth. This is another thing that we need to think about now. When you hear in some cultures, the father of the girl has to pay for the man to marry her. No. The cultures that come from the religion, always the man will pay for the woman to marry him. The mahar, the dowry, come from the man. So Muhammad was telling us this before Islam, that he doesn't have the means, he doesn't have the money, so how can he get married? Maysara then said to him, what about if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for you to find the woman of the noble lineage, family chain, with beauty and wealth? Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which woman are you talking about who come from a good family, who is beautiful and she is very rich? And then Maysara said to him, Khadija. It didn't cross Muhammad Sallallahu mind, he would say Khadija. Khadija, because he felt she is beyond his means to marry her. Okay? There are too many rich men in Quraysh who are approaching and refusing. He felt he, she, she would not marry him. When he said Khadija, he said, well, will she accept? He said, leave it to me. Muhammad Sallallahu is saying to Maysara, will she accept? And Maysara is saying, just leave it to me. I will deal with it. So he went back to Khadija. Little he knew, Khadija is the one who was interested. <laughs> that gives you, give you the second thing. A woman can ask for a man. It's not, it's, not, it's not wrong for a woman to ask for a man. A woman can approach, but be like Khadija. You see? Don't go direct because if you are told no, it will be a knock. If a man is told no, it's okay. It can be knocked many times, no problem. <laughs> but a woman, okay, the knock will become too hard. So it's, you need to use them. So when Maysara came to Khadija, said, Yeah, Khadija, I bring you good news. What's the good news? He accepts. She said, Fine now. Okay? You can go and find your own way of convincing him to go and ask for me. So Sayyidina Muhammad went to his uncle Abu Talib and sat with him, Yeah. Abu Talib, yani I'm thinking of getting married and I'm going to ask for Khadija. Abu Talib said to him, the best of choices and the best of homes and the best of women you will marry. And then he called upon Hamza and they went. The seerah, those who have written, some say when they went, they went to her house, they saw her with her father some say with her brother and some say with her uncle. But the majority agree it was her father. And they went and sat with, with him. And Abu Talib then asked for Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu to be given yeah, the hand of Khadija to marry. And they accepted. And subhanallah, they made a huge 
wedding. Even Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu used to speak about it. They slaughtered a lot of animals to kill, to feed the people. Because for them, a celebration like this is for the benefit of feeding those who cannot feed themselves. You have to realize in poor countries there are people who go for months without eating meat. So when there is an occasion, those who have the means, they will kill the meat and feed it for those who cannot find it. So Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, she got married to Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam. She was exactly 40 years old, but Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam, it is said that he was 25 and 3 months when he married her. 25 years and 3 months. He lived with her. He had from her 6 children. And there is a confusion. Sometimes people, when they read the seerah, how many children the Prophet had. The Prophet had from Khadija six children, two boys and four girls. And another boy, he had from Maria al-Qibtiya, the Coptic woman, Maria. The three boys died. The first born was called Al-Qasim. That's why the Prophet is called Abu Al-Qasim. When we say Abu Al-Qasim, the father of Al-Qasim, is Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam, is a kunya. The Arabs always, okay, name the father by his first born. If his first born is a girl called Hafsa, Abu Hafsa. Okay? Umar, Abu Umar, and so on. Al-Qasim, he became Abu Al-Qasim. His second son was Abdullah. And Abdullah has two names as well. Al-Tahir wa Al-Tayyib. So sometimes in the book, some people, they write, and he has a son called Al-Tayyib, and he has a son called Al-Tahir. No, no, no. He have only two sons, Al-Qasim wa Abdullah. Abdullah has two names, Al-Tayyib wa Al-Tahir. That's the idea. Then Zainab, Ruqayya, Um Kulthum, and Fatima to Zahra. These are the children of Khadija. Okay? These are the children of Sayyidah Khadija, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And, mashallah, their stories are amazing. Inshallah, maybe next week when we come, we'll talk about them individually. Uh, how did they grow up? Whom did they get married? Did they have children or not? A, a portion of next week's lesson. Alaykum salam Next week's lesson. That is what we will talk about. Insha'Allah. Now, Al-Qasim and Abdullah died young. And the reason for their death young, because if they grew older, they will be prophets. And if they become prophets, it will not be the right way, because Muhammad is the Khatim. Al Khatim, yeah? He was the last. As a prophet. So they have to die young. They have to leave this world young. But the girls grew. They got married. Okay? And they had children. And their children got married as well. Okay? And we'll discuss this, inshallah, in the next week's lesson. Now, Sayyidina Muhammad was not known to travel while he's married to Khadija in the caravan, then go north and come back. No. His life was stable, as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fulfilling for him. That's what I brought at the beginning. And he found you in need. You don't have. And he made you rich, content. He had the means with Khadija to look after himself and his children. He didn't need anything. So what did he do? He spent most of his time worshipping Allah. 
in the way that he knew, in the way that he saw the wise men living, doing the right thing, although he did not like a lot of the things that are done in the Kaaba. For example, he used to come as Khadija used to report, and Aisha reported later on from the Kaaba, and he was upset that why there is 360 idols in the Kaaba. And he will say things like, what did they do? What benefit do they bring? What gain do we gain out of them? They can't speak, they can't move, they can't say nothing. They can't do nothing. And some of those people who used to worship them, they used to find it hard to hear him saying that. And therefore, he used to take his time and go out and climb the mountains and sit wherever he can find the place until he began to sit in the Qar, Qar Hira, the cave of Hira. Now, a lot of people don't understand. The people of Arabia at that time, at the Quran, and I prove to you now, used to talk about them as people who used to pray. They used to fast. They used to do Hajj. They used to do Umrah. And in the Quran, Allah said, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim." Surah Al-Baqarah. Okay. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim. Wa'ahidna ila Ibrahim wa Ismail an tahira baytiya al-tawifina. And we have made a promise to Ibrahim and his son Ismail that they must purify my house, Al-Kaaba. Okay? For what? For those who will come to make i'tikaf, to seclude themselves within the boundary. And those who will come to pray, Al-Ruqa', those who are making ruku' sujud or a sujud, those who make sujud. Now, ruku'a sujud, this is in our salah. And it was there from before. It wasn't just given to Sayyidina Muhammad, but it was ordained for the ummah to be taken seriously for the first time when Muhammad went to the heavens in the Mi'raj and brought it down. This salah is huge. There is nothing compared to it. Other Rasulullah said in the hadith, الفرق بيننا وبينهم الصلاة. The difference between us and them is salah. There's no difference. Those who do not believe in Allah, or those who worship beside Allah, or those who are supposed to be worshiping in the way of Allah, like the Christian and the Jews, okay? The difference between us and them is only salah. If you make your five daily salawat, you are a Muslim. That's the idea. You are a Muslim. Now, this is verse one two five. Surah Al-Baqarah. And it is said also in Surah Ibrahim, verse 37, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ربنا إني أسكنت من ذريتي بواد غير زرع عند بيتك المحرم ربنا ليقيم الصلاة My Lord My Lord I have put in a land there is no plantation therein my family in your holy house, or where your hello house, holy house is. My Lord, I put them there only to establish salah. This is Ibrahim salam began that. I put them in that boundary for one reason, to establish salah. And I tell you, until Qiyamah, there will not be a salah performed in any place in this world better, higher than performed in Mecca. And therefore, Rasulullah said in the Hadith, one salah in the Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, equivalent to 100 salah, 100,000 salah. 
100,000 salawat. One salah. You pray one fajr, it is recorded at 100,000 fajr. Lucky are those people who go and pray there. It is reported that Abdullah ibn Umar al-Khattab, he used to pray all his five daily prayers in the haram of Mecca. But he lived outside when he was getting older. And one of the companions said to him, Ya Abdullah, MashaAllah, you are a good man. You are a teacher in the deen. People need you. But you come to pray and you leave. Why are you living outside? Why don't you live in Mecca? He says, didn't you hear the Prophet Sallallahu saying, the reward for one salah in the haram here is 100,000 salawat. However, the sin is big. I want to gain the reward, but avoid the sin. So I can sin outside, but gain the reward while I'm okay, in the haram. So if you go there, avoid by all means making sins, and encourage yourself to worship Allah a lot. Because there, there is benefit. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, Establish that house for the iqama of salah, for the establishment of the five daily prayers. And then also, وَإِذْ بَوَأْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَكَانَ الْبَيْتِ أَلَّا تُشْرِكْ بِيَ شَيْئًا وَطَهِّرْ بَيْتِيَ لِلطَّائِفِينَ وَالْعَاكِفِينَ وَالْرُكَّعِ السُّجُودِ And when we have appointed Ibrahim السلام, and commanded him to build the house. This is what we discovered or talked about last week. That you will not worship beside me others and purify my house for those who will come to make tawaf and those who will come to worship me in salah. Al-Qa'imin, those who will make salah. This is Salah. So we call the Salah and the night Qiyamul Layl. When you stand okay, in Qiyamul Layl to recite. This is Surah Al-Hajj. Okay? Verse 26. So here again, it is to show us that from the time of Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, there is worship being ordained. And the last one in Surah Al-Anfal, verse 35. Allah said, وَمَا كَانَ الصَّلَاتُهُمْ وَمَا كَانَ صَلَاتُهُمْ عِنْدَ الْبَيْتِ إِلَّا مُكَاءً وَتَصْدِيَةً However, those who came later, especially those who lived just before Muhammad was born, their salah in the Kaaba when they prayed it, it was only showing off and distancing themselves from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they have changed the salah. Rather than praying for Allah, they were praying for the idols. And rather than doing the salah the way it was ordained, they were doing it in their own way, the way they felt it is good. If you notice today, in the different part of the world, there are people who will make sujood. But it is different than the sujood we do. Some people make sujood with all their body. Some people will make sujood, okay, with only their forehead. Okay? Some people will only put their hand on the floor and they don't put their knees. Different ways. All this is not being ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way the Prophet has shown it to us and the way we do it today, this is the right way. So Sayyidina Muhammad if somebody asks what he used to do once he got married and had a family, he used to worship Allah. But in the way he sought fitting by doing that which is 
bringing him closer to Allah, searching for the truth. As Allah said in the Quran, and he has found you looking for the truth and he has guided you to the truth. Muhammad was not dull in the sense that he was in error doing wrong. Because there are some people who think, well, Sayyidina Muhammad before the message came to him, he was in error. When we say he was in error, it's a big mistake. And I don't want you to make that mistake. In error meaning, he was committing that which is haram. It was never reported. And inshallah we'll talk about his attribute that Muhammad never, never lied. It was never reported that he cheated. It was never reported that he drank alcohol or gambled or stole or did all the ritual and the thing that they used to do around the haram on Mecca, worshipping the idols. He used to be against them. He used to distance himself, stand away from it. In fact, he used to be in the line of his grandfather talking to God, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you remember, I told you the story about Abraham, okay? When Abraham took the camel of Abu Talib, Abu Talib said to him, لِكَعْبَةُ رَبٌّ يَحْمِيهَا The Kaaba has the Lord that will protect it. لِكَعْبَةُ رَبٌّ يَحْمِيهَا That means he believed the Kaaba, Allah will protect. So Sayyidina Muhammad believed the same way. He had no other means of thinking otherwise. So he used to go out and sit and worship. And subhanAllah, he said later on, there came days when I will take food and I will go to the mountain and I will enter the cave for many, many nights. Sometimes we'll be there for a month. But Khadija radiallahu ta'ala said, when he came, he will give us 100% attention. He was not like the other men. He will give 100% attention. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala when they asked her, how was he in the house? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She said, subhanallah, kana yakhsufu na'lahu. He used to mend his shoes by himself. If his shoes are broken, he will not say, can you please do them for me? And there are some husband today who will say to their wife, could you please clean my shoes for me because I'm going out. Can't you clean it yourself? I'm busy. What are you busy with? I'm dressing up. Okay? And if his thobe, his garment is broken, he will sew it himself. The needle, okay, is always in his hand. He was always sewing by himself. And he was always serving his family. This is what Khadija was telling us. He was always serving his family, helping his family. Now, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, the time came when suddenly the elders of Mecca decided that the Kaaba need to be rebuilt. Now, when they decided to rebuild the Kaaba, it's a big thing. They are not all going to agree, well, let us go and just knock it down and build it. You know, the Kaaba, subhanallah, it's the fairest house to be built on this earth. There was nothing on this earth and Adam and Hawa and Iblis were brought down onto the earth and there was nothing 
only the plants and the animals and the jinn who were living here before them. Now the Kaaba was initially built by the Malaika. Allah said in the Quran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن أول بيت وضع للناس للذي ببكة مباركا وهودا للعالمين Indeed the first house to be built for the people on this earth here is the one in Bakka. It is called in the Quran Bakka. Bakka meaning the city that is busy. Bakka. Bakka yubuku Bakkan. Binnas. Bizzahma. Okay? Crowdedness. Hudan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said guidance for the people. Guidance for the people. So everybody can only be guided by that house. That's why we all tend to it wherever we are. Then it was destroyed and it was rebuilt and then it was destroyed again and covered by the dust and the sand and Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, was commanded to move his son Ismail and Hajir there so that it will be found and built again and then before Sayyidina Muhammad السلام, became the prophet and the messenger and the message came to him it was supposed to be rebuilt. That's when he was 35 years old. What happened is, while they're talking about rebuilding it, suddenly a ship was traveling in the Red Sea, and when it was in the area of Jeddah today, okay, a Roman ship, it was destroyed. There was a wind and it was broken, and all the wood came to the shore. Now, because they don't have trees in that areas and they don't have wood, they rushed the people of Quraysh to see what's happening. They found the wood. Nobody is going to take it, so they collected it. And they found somebody sitting there from those Romans, and he happened to be a carpenter. So they asked him if he can come with them to Mecca. What for? We have a house we want to build. Would you have come and help us? He said, yes, I'll come. So he came with them. The Kaaba was built four sides and a door, but it had no roof. It was just covered by material. And the material, just like today, will cover the four sides, but on top, only material, nothing. There is no roof. And it was built from a white okay, rock. Not far away from the place it is built now, they were bringing the rocks to build it. So they came and they sat down and they brought the wood and they thought, this time we will build it properly, put a roof for it. And they were debating. Shall we go ahead? Okay. They agreed. They will take the white rocks and go and get some other rocks and build it properly and put a roof over it using the wood. The moment they began to move to come to destroy it, a snake came out. A huge snake. Black back, white stomach. They were astonished. They had never seen a snake like this before. Every time they approach a side, the snake will stand up, open its head, try to attack them. So they will move back. Three, four times they did that, and they couldn't approach. So what they did, they prayed. They made a long prayer, and they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if our intention of breaking this house and rebuilding it for your honor, make it happen. If it is otherwise, do what you think is fitting. And while they're praying, 
and they were carrying on praying and praying. This is the elder, the wise men. Subhanallah, on top they could hear a sound. When they looked up, there's a huge bird flying on top. And the astonishing thing is that bird, bigger than an eagle, it has a white stomach and a black back, like the snake. And it was making such a noise. The people who heard it, they said it's a strange noise. And suddenly, it came down, howling, making the noise, and it hit the snake, and it pulled it. Forth and back, forth and back, until it is dead. Once the snake is moved away by the bear, and it is dead, they came together and they thought, this is a sign. Allah Almighty God wants us to rebuild the Kaaba. They went, they broke the old building, they brought new rocks. Who are they helping them and supporting them in the rock? It's Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Now, I don't know how you see it, but what I see is, is the wisdom that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala wants the Kaaba to be built until the end of the time by the man who will come at the seal of prophets. But he has no means to do it himself. He has to depend upon his people and the wise men. He has to go with them. He didn't argue with them. He didn't agree with what they do. He was distancing himself. But when they want to build the Kaaba, he was there. He was bringing the rocks. He was doing everything. And then, when they arrived at the place where they should put the stone, the black stone. Now, the black stone is something unique. There is no object in this world other than the body of Rasulullah more important than anything else than the black stone. Al-Hajar al-Aswad. They call it the black stone. But my mother used to say to me, son, don't say Al-Hajar al-Aswad. So I said, what shall I call it? Al-Hajar al-Az'ad. Al-Hajar, the most luckiest stone. So I said, mom, why is it lucky? Said, Haven't you seen every human want to kiss it? Every human, if we will fight to kiss it, what a lucky stone. <laughs> Seriously. And I felt that that is wise. Al-Hajar al-Az'ad. Now, the story goes, it wasn't really black, it was white. But whether it was white or black, it doesn't matter. But what is it? When they came to put it in the Kaaba, the leaders of the tribes who were supervising the building, they stopped and they began to argue. Almost a battle was going to take place because the stone is so important and where it should be put and who should put it, they did not come to an agreement. Okay? But before I tell you that, let us think about this black stone. Now, this black stone comes from the story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. Now, Adam alayhi salam, when he was in heavens with Hawa, and they ate from the tree and they were brought down, there are two narrations where they were brought down. Some say Adam was brought down some part of India. Okay? Some people specifically say, where Sri Lanka is. It used to be part of the Indian continent itself. 
There is no water in the middle because the world was closer to one And then he walked north until he came to the place where Mecca is. It makes sense to some extent that they were walking, walking, walking because he landed on the earth. The smell is different. The feeling is different. The life is different. Of course, there is no comparison between heaven and the earth. So he was unhappy. And he was walking to find the place, seeking to go back until he arrived to a place where there is nothing. At least when he landed, there is trees and there is water. And there, here there is nothing. And it is said, there he kneeled and cried. And his wife just behind him and cried and cried, asking Allah to take this away from him. Turn him back, bring him up. And suddenly, Allah inspired him to seek forgiveness. And he read, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُنَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh, our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. Him and his wife. We have wronged ourselves. And if you do not forgive us and show us mercy, definitely, for sure, we'll be among the losers. Of course, Allah forgave him. But they say the forgiveness came in the form of Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam comes down with this stone. And he gave it to him. When he held it and he kissed it, it reminded him of where he came from. Am I going back? No. We're going to build a house here. We're going to put this stone in it. You're going to go around it and you kiss this stone, you will be there. But I want to go back. No, your destiny is to remain. That's it. That's the story of that stone. Where it is. But the, the other narration, it says he did not land where India is. He landed where Majma al Bahrain, the joint of the two rivers. And Rasulullah, when he went for Mi'raj, he said, The Nile initiate from heaven. Okay? Dijla initiate from heaven. These are rivers. He said, They're originated there. And therefore, the two Niles that are meeting, okay, in Sudan Khartoum, and Nil al-Abid al-Azra, they say where Adam landed. And he walked east. And the Red Sea was not there. He just walked across. Until he came to a land where there was nothing, no water, nothing. But it doesn't matter where he came from, that's the story of the black stone. But there are two ahadith to show the significance of the black stone. And the importance of the black stone. The first hadith, okay, and Abdullah ibn Umar al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, reported by Abdullah ibn Umar al-Khattab, may Allah bless him and his father, both. He said, قَالَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ الْحَجَرَ الْأَسْوَدْ يَمِنُ اللَّهِ فِي الْأَرْضِ رَوَاهُ الْحَاكِمُ The black stone is the right hand of God on the earth. Reported by Al-Hakim. What does that mean? Now, indeed, in the earlier generations, the third generation who were researching and recording, like Ahmad ibn Hanbal and uh, Imam Malik and those people, they were debating these issues. But they were very strict not to go further. Some went beyond. We don't. But the only thing is, this 
means that whenever you go to the black stone and you touch it by your hand, you are drawing yourself closer to Allah. And if you kiss it, as if to say to yourself, from him you have come and to him you return. That's the whole idea. When you are going around the Kaaba seven times, it's the same meaning. From Allah we have come and to him is our return. We begin in the black stone and we return back to the black stone. That's the whole, it's just to give us an initiation and an understanding that our destiny is not to be on this earth forever. We'll leave it sometime. The other hadith, and Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, may Allah bless him and his father, he said, Al-Hajar al-Aswad, yaminullahi fil-ard. The black stone is the right hand of Allah azza wa jal on this earth. يصافح بها خلقه كما يصافح الرجل أخاه الله shakes hand with his servant when he touched the black stone as the brother will shake hand of his brother this is a hadith صحيحة so it gives us an importance to go to that black stone and you must do that no one the people fight to touch it I don't really worry about them when they do that they shouldn't do but they want to do it because it's important. Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala when he came to the Kaaba and he did his tawaf and he came to the black stone initially he says to himself we used to worship the stones and the idols. Here I am doing my tawaf properly which I accept but kissing the black stone I should not. But then he remembered the Prophet did. He turned to the black stone and said to it, By Allah Almighty God, I know you are a rock. Neither you will benefit me, nor you will harm me. But Allah does. I will kiss you because I saw my beloved Muhammad kissing you. And he kissed it. That is to show the يعني, position of the man, the caliber of the man, Umar bin Khattab. That's the idea. So we kiss it because Muhammad kissed it. We touch it because Muhammad touched it. Every ritual we do because Muhammad did. Sometimes we don't know the reasons, but rest assured the reasons are very important, but they are not apparent to us to know. He knew why he did that. This hadith tells you, but he knows exactly what he's doing, sallallahu alayhi wa And every time I go there, and every time I kiss that black stone, every time I touch it, it smells the same. It feels the same. It doesn't change. How many people touch it? How many people kiss it? People who have got and a cough, people who have got uh, flu, people who have got um, aches and pains. And, and all right, it's fine. People, <laughs> I feel good when you touch it and you kiss it. You feel good because there is blessing in it. Okay? So while the building is taking place of the new Kaaba and while the corners are already where the black stone should be put, the leaders were fighting and arguing. But then they came to a decision. One elder said, listen, let us come to a compromise. The black stone is precious. And the tribe that get the chance to do that honor will be the most precious tribe. So we don't agree which tribe should be. But let us agree on one thing. The wall of the Kaaba around it have doors. There is one door called Babu Salam. It's still there. 
whosoever enter into our presence from Babu Salam first will be the person who will give us the decision what to do. They agreed on that. وَكَانَ مُحَمَّدْ صَلَّمْ أَوَّلَ دَاخِلِ مَبَى وَسَلَّمْ And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was the first to enter. Once he came, most of them almost got up from their seat and said, Oh, هذا محمد ونرضى بحكمه. This is Muhammad sallam, and because he is trustworthy, we will accept his judgment. Not one single man sitting there said, No, 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 I'm not accepting. Let's do it again. They called him, Come here, Muhammad. He sat down. Where were you? As if Allah hit him for days away from them. He held them by bringing, carrying the rocks. We need you. What do you need me for? We have the black stone and we are differing which tribe should carry it and put it in the right position. What shall we do? He said, to be thaw. Bring okay, a piece of cloth. They brought the cloth. They put it down. Where is the black stone? They showed it where it is. He went and carried it himself, put it in the middle. He said, each tribe should have a man to carry from our side. They all agreed. They carried the black stone to the place. He directed them to a position where I believe Allah has already directed him where it should be. And when they arrived there, because they're all carrying, he took it himself and put it in his place. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That is from Allah, not from anybody else. Nobody said, you shouldn't do it, you should do it. He did it himself and put it. So the stone today is sitting exactly in the place Muhammad sallam put it. And it will remain there until Qiyamah. Insha'Allah. Until this Kaaba is destroyed at the end of the time because it will be destroyed again. Okay? By a man, subhanAllah, like Abraham, who wanted to destroy it from before, from Abyssinia. Okay? He will come and destroy the Kaaba. This will be the sign of the Day of Judgment when the Kaaba is destroyed. So, there, Sayyidina, Muhammad managed to sort out the problems of those people, clean their difficulties. The Kaaba was completed, the wood was used, and subhanAllah, the Kaaba always had a wooden door, a wooden okay, roof, always. And it was covered by the cloth until later on, okay, in the 20th century, when the things were changed and they put. Okay, the golden door and the golden mizab and everything. Alhamdulillah, which is all good. No problem at all. But until today, all these areas, whether it is Zamzam, whether it is the door of the Kaaba, okay, whether it is the cloth of the Kaaba, okay, it's all being governed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through certain families being chosen to do this job. As it was before. These people will do this job. Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was there to help the people of Mecca to initiate it because of what to come. And he went and he spent most of his time out in the cave in that time. Coming to the Kaaba, doing what he can, criticizing openly, but not to annoy or upset, but among those whom he loved, what they were doing in the Kaaba and the idol worshipping and going astray from the path of their father before them. And he will go to the cave. He said, they came days before I received the Quran I used to put my head down and I will dream. And when I wake up, what I dreamt will come true. Exactly what I saw. Whatever I see will come true. Sometimes it happened to us. I had a friend of mine, subhanAllah, he was telling me, he said to me, I was meditating a lot. And I was doing as much as I can 
to follow the example of Muhammad sallam. And he says, Subhanallah, while I'm sitting meditating one day in my room, he came from university. He used to study in Umdurman Islamic University in Sudan, one of the good universities. And he said he was sitting, he was praying in his prayer mat. The door is locked or closed. And suddenly he was making dhikr and his eyes closed and he could see a dream. And in the dream he saw his brother coming to the door of the room where he's sitting. He will knock, then he will open the door. I said, I will open my eyes, stand to look at him and he will say, your mother died. He said, when I open my eyes, I turn to the door, my brother said to me, your mother died. The dream just came through. You see, because he was dreaming it, when it finished, the door knocked. He opened his eyes, turned around, his brother was there. Said, your mother just passed away. Come to the next room. Now, this is what the Prophet used to see. That can only happen to somebody whom his mirror inside is clean. How are we going to clean this mirror? Inshallah, when we come to the receiving of the revelation, when we come and talk next week, when the Quran was revealed, okay? And we'll talk about these things. But for the time being, you need to think carefully that everything we learn in the seerah is to draw us closer to Muhammad Sallam and to allow us to understand him and appreciate him وسلم, so that we can begin to love him. Because without his love, we're not believers. And without having that faith in our heart, what will happen to us? All Allah knows. We need to really take this very seriously. As I promised last time, I will tell you another thing that you can read to allow you to see the Prophet I thought what I told you last week, you have done on Thursday. I told you last time, this Thursday, you should recite a Salah Ibrahimiyah a hundred times before you go to bed. And you should do it for seven Thursdays. And Allah is my witness. The person who gave it to me, he said to me, if a person is genuine and following, before the seventh Thursday, you will see the Prophet I tried and I saw. Now, whether the people tried or not, you can try. Second thing, I will give another one. Because I, I learned 40. The second one, it's a really beautiful thing. And it is, it, it, it is a nice thing as well to do. It is to recite Surah Yasin once. And to recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim after you finish it 114 times. You can do it anytime, any day. And you can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after you finish to show you the Prophet Because seeing him is a gift from Allah. You don't, you don't say, well I did it, I didn't see anything. He has to gift you. You see? If he gifts you, you will see. If he doesn't gift you, you will not see. Now, then seeing as well is different. Some people cannot see. Some people say to me, I just saw a light. I didn't see anything. That, that is your capability. Some people say, I just heard a voice. That's your capability. Some people say, I had a feeling. I had a little girl came to me this week in the school after Zuhur on uh, Thursday. She said, Sheikh, can I tell you something good happened to me? I said to her, what? She's 10 years old. And she's very, very quiet and very, very polite girl. She said, I saw the Prophet in my dream. Can I tell you? So I said, tell me. Look, 10 years old. Because I keep encouraging them. She said to me, I saw him coming to my house and I opened the door 
and he smiled and asked me, can I come in? And I said to him, yes, you can come in. And I knew it was the Prophet And then he said, do you know me? I said to him, I know you. Who am I? I said to him, you are Muhammad. I said to him, yes, you, you knew. He, I took him inside. My mother sitting there. Me and my mother sat down. And then he was speaking to me. And he was telling me. And he said to me a few things that made me very happy. So I said, oh, this is really beautiful. Shall I say this to the class so that they can benefit from it? He said, I don't want them to know, please. I respected her. And I remember the verse in the Quran, فَلَا تَخْصَصْ رُوْيَاكَ عَلَىٰ إِخْوَتِكَ فَيَكِيدُ لَكَ Sayyidina Yusuf his father said to him, do not narrate your stories to your brothers, then they will plot against you. <laughs> Maybe the girl is more wiser. Because <laughs> the children thought they were jealous. How could you see? You see? So dreams are very, very important. And I want you, while we are doing the seerah, maybe Allah will open the door for you to see Sayyidina Muhammad. Okay? So this Yaseen and 114 times, Bismillah rahman rahim I promise you, it's fantastic. And it's also good to do when you want to make istikhara. Okay? If you are making istikhara for anything, you want to see something to do or not to do, to choose or not to choose, you just pray Surah Ga'az, and when you finish, make istighfar, make salawat, and then read Yaseen once by the intention of what you want, 114 times, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, by the number of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the Quran. If you read Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, 114 times in the Quran. 113 times in front of every surah except Bara'a, Tawbah. But inside the Tawbah it is written. In Surah al sorry, Al-Naml is written. وَإِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانُ وَإِنَّهُ Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So 114 times. Once you read that, then you put your hand up and ask Allah to travel or not to travel, to marry or not to marry, okay, to get into partnership or not, whatever istikhara you're making. And you will see, inshallah, your dream. So may Allah make it easy for me and for you until next week. Uh, I just want to remind you, I am starting, inshallah, that I recorded last week, uh, a course about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have a shop called uh, Rumi's Cave in Willis Lane. And I try to do this thing so that we can generate income, so that we can run it, because it is benefiting people. We do a lot of talks and lessons and things. It's becoming uh, a place for people to shop for the hereafter, inshallah. Because I notice everybody doesn't come to the mosque, but they can go to the shop. You see? A lot of those people who come to the shop, they will never come here. You see? But alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, it's good. So they can shop there as they like, but it is shopping for the hereafter. And we do those things to generate the income to cover the cost of the place. And this course I'm doing, inshallah, I'm going to speak about it in, in depth. Because the names of Allah are so important to understand and to appreciate so that you can make dhikr. And by the way, dhikr is the highest thing. As one of the companions said to Rasulullah higher than me going out into the battlefield and killing and being killed. He said, even if you get there and you break your sword in the battlefield and you are full of blood, a person who is remembering Allah is better than you. Okay? The remembrance is by the tongue. And Allah said in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَ For Allah are the best names. Call him by those names. And there are secrets in the names. How to use them. So inshallah we will start the course. This says they're coming. Okay? If you want to know more about it, you want to register yourself, you look into Rumi's cave. Okay? Rumi's cave. And inshallah they can register you for the course. And we'll do it. Inshallah and we'll finish within, inshallah, within 20, 
يعني ان شاء الله وي كان فينيش ات وي ويل تيك جروبس اوف نيمز اند وي توك اباوت ات اند وي ديسكاس ات ثيرلي اند ذن بيبول كان براكتس هاو تو دو ذكر ناو ذا سكند ثينج ان شاء الله وي ار دوينج ا ماريج كورس بس از اي سيد لاست تايم ا ماريج كورس فور اولي ذوز هو ار نوت ماريد اف يو ار ماريد بليز دونت كم كيف يور ترافل تو يور سيلف وي دونت هاف تايم تو سولف يور بروبلمز بس ذيس از فور سنجل بيبول سنجل بيبول مينينج ويدوز از ويل ار انكلودد Okay, divorced people are included because they are they're supposed to be married. I'm no man, no man should be sitting without a wife or a husband. Okay, and uh, you should marry straight away because having a partner is very good. It's half of your deen. So all those who are single who want to come for marriage, it's going to be done differently. We're going to have two days whereby those single people will come in one place. We're going to sit together and study the etiquette of marriage properly from the seer of Rasulullah Sallam, and then. In between, we're going to do some workshops whereby those people will meet one another, discuss with one another, talk to one another. And then if Allah puts the liking of somebody in your heart, you can talk to them there and then. Because really, it hurt me when we are living in an age, there are too many people who cannot get married. Not because they don't have the means. Some of them, they have cars, they have homes, they have money, but they can't find the person. I said there are too many people there. Seriously, there are too many people to get married to, but they can't find them. I don't know what's going on. If Khadija could go and ask for Muhammad Sallam, then I think we should go and ask and find the right person. So please look for this course. It is the weekend after next, inshallah. And inshallah, Allah make it easy for all of us. May Allah bless me and bless you and guard me and guard you. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah al-Ameen. Muhammad ibn Abdullahi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim. Ya man tasma'una wa tarana wa ta'lamu haluna wa la yakhfu alaykum ma'rifatina wa ahwalina ya Rabbal alameen. Ikhfir lana wa rhamna wa sturna wa nsurna ayidna kullana la takun alayna birahmatika ya arhamar rahimin. Allahumma inna nas'aluka ma salaka ibn Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa nasta'idhuka bima sta'adaka ibn Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Rabbi ihfadna bihifdika tam. Ya Rabbi sturna bistirka aljameel. Ya Rabbi hayyik lana min amrina rashada. Wajal معونتك الحسنى لنا مددا بالأولياء بالصالحين بجمعهم من جاءنا القرآن عنهم مرشدا فرج فضلك إلهي كربنا يا خير مد الأنام له يدا اللهم إنا نسألك سلطانا نصيرا وحظا عظيما وأجرا وفيرا وتجارة لن تبور وفقنا اللهم توفيقا مطلقا وارزقنا حلالا طيبا واسعا بلا كد تجب اللهم دعاءنا بلا رد وآتنا اللهم كلمة لا ترد وادخلنا اللهم الجنة بغير حساب إنك أنت الله العزيز الكريم الوهاب ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة عين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما I ask Allah سبحانه وتعالى for all those who have got a problem in their life may Allah remove it and all those who are seeking employment may Allah employ them and all those who are seeking knowledge may Allah allow them and all those who are studying may Allah make them successful in their studies and all those who are seeking jobs May Allah give them the halal jobs, Ya Kareem, that will provide them halal income. And all those who are seeking, Allah will open doors for them of mercy. May Allah open for them, for those who are underprivileged all over the world, those who are needing help, those who are in war zone, those who are in famine zone, those who are in difficulty areas. May Allah remove their difficulties. May Allah bring peace to their lands. May Allah give them tawfiq and success. Our brothers and sisters in Syria, may Allah remove their suffering and may Allah exchange their life to a better life and give them the best of leaders. Allahumma rabbi wafighna lima tuhubu tarda ya kareem wahmina wahdina wa tub alayna wa tawallana birahmatika ya arhamar rahimin salli wa sallim ala sayyidina Muhammad al-Nabiya al-Ameen wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tubhana rabbika rabbi al-Azata amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-Mursaleen wa alhamdulillah rabbi al-Alamin al-Fatiha bismillahi al-Rahman al-Rahim alhamdulillahi rabbi al-Alamin al-Rahman al-Rahim maliki yawm al-Din يا كنعبد وياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم 
صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين